You are listening to the Firecracker Podcast with Tony Rico. We're back in black, Sean. We're back. We're back. <laughs> I'm back in really black. If, you, if, if anybody hasn't noticed, my color changed since the last podcast, but a little few hours in the sun. But we are we are back with the season wrap up podcast with with Sean Bashir, Firecracker Vice President. And you're like the Grammy Award winner around here. You know, I've mentioned oh, wow. that to Lucas a couple of times, but coming off a hot summer. And so you're a hot topic right now. And I know you love that because you just love to be hot in any way that you <laughs> can be. But my God, what a summer. Uh, I mean. What a campaign. You know, it was a really good summer, a really good year. Um, you know, 16s, maybe not as much that last week, you know, some things, but at the same time, it was a great year. So it's okay for you to have a little humble pie yeah, because, no, you know, no, it yeah, just seems like you had an abundance of, of all, all the good stuff. But we, as we all know, I mean, the game humbles everybody yeah. here, but uh, can't have it all, all the time. Right. But, but, you know, really the, the point isn't for anybody listening. It's like, okay, here we go on the brochure thing again, because we've been putting it out there, but it really is because it's a testimony to what we believe in. And it's a testimony to the recipe and it's a testimony to what is possible for everybody that's listening. So for any coach, any player family that's listening, that their experience could be more, it could be more fulfilling. Um, uh, you hear me talk about kind of the back end of the story. It's not the front end glamour stuff, but my gosh. So uh, a great summer of, let's talk about your 18s real quick. Uh, we just did a little segment for our on-demand, but talking about, you know, for me, I I mentioned that you took a good team and you made it great and their the way they played and what they accomplished. So how would you describe the experience with your 18s this summer? You know, fulfilling. You know, I think that, and, and we collectively made it great. You know, I, I'm just a piece. And the kids that are bought in, the coaches that are part of it, they're all bought in. And uh, so to me, it was fulfilling because it was a, a culmination of, you know, hard work by everybody trying to be the best version of who we are. And I think we were able to do that this summer. You know, and honestly, you know, a little disappointed that we weren't completely fully staffed as we got to the finish line. Um, but at the same time to still be where we finished, you know, win Colorado, take fifth at, at, at PGF, yeah. you know, put it in on the two teams that we did get beat by play for the national championship. So, I mean, it was a really fulfilling year. Um, uh, and again, really proud of the buy-in, the kids, the players. The, I mean, and, the and it's not that they're, they're, they're not <clears throat> competitive because they are, but it's, it's not, you know, I'm I'm going to guess it's not like you wrote on the board we're going to win this tournament and we're going to come in top five. But but there was a a competitive confidence to this team. Yeah, I mean we we always have goals, you know, goal oriented. But at the same time, it's always just about giving ourselves the best chance to be successful. So that's inning to inning, pitch to pitch. I mean, it's all cliche, but it's true. Um, you know, so at the end of the summer, you look back and you say, in those individual moments, how how did we handle them? And I think the adversity st- side of it we handled it very well. Um, you know, even losing Donna, you know, going into, you know, season, into PGF, ending, season injury, injury, right? injury, and, you know, the semifinal and final game in Colorado, JC, uh, Bourgeois, you know, unbelievable. And then she JC's comes autograph. In, she goes to, you know, JC, to I want your autograph. You know, she was our leading hitter at PGF, yeah. you know, two home runs, a game winning home run, led the team in RBIs, you know, and, and to me, that's, you know, I couldn't be more proud of her, you know, more proud of the group. And that's what we had a lot of, you know, Carly Brown stepping up. Danny is limited. Ashley got hurt. So a lot of pieces to the puzzle that the girls really knew their, you know, their roles and they, they embraced their opportunities, you know, which is. But you said, you said something earlier about we're, we're, we're just playing pitch to pitch, but I want to say to all the coaches out there when, um, you know, my observations, when things aren't going as well as they could be, or things are starting to slip away, the ability to oversee 
and manage pitch to pitch. And that doesn't mean you're making a decision and putting on a sign every single pitch, but you are managing the flow of the game every single pitch. It sounds a little micromanaging of how to play this game, but if there's three pitches that go by and you're not sure what happens, you're missing detailed information that can, that can really help you navigate your next move. And so that, that playing for the next pitch, Again, cliche is because we hear it and it's out there, but, but I implore you to continue to educate yourselves with the importance because again, this story that I present with what's happening with your, your culture is for the benefit of everybody in the organization. You know, it's, it's that you can have this your own way. And so that pitch to pitch is really, really important. Uh, the other thing is, you know, again, we were shooting earlier segments today and, and talking about the buy-in of your culture, having uh, a lot of kids in your dugout. But no one seemed to feel less important than the next person. Well, we, we definitely, you know, some years are different than others. And not <clears> always <throat> is, that, is that the design, right. you know, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend it in general, um, you know. But at the same time, when you do have that, every player has to kind of understand the value of their opportunities and, and make sure they're maximizing them. Um, and even, How do you create value? How do you maintain the level of value and that feeling of value when a player that's not getting as much playing time so that at the end of the year when someone gets hurt and they step in and they do an amazing job, you know, what's, what's, what's a key component of that to that part of that relationship? I think it starts with self-belief, right? These, these, having these players that have an understanding that they are good enough. And, you know, at some point in time, you know, we're trying to create a team and an environment, you know, if you look at it on a, on a bigger scale of, of all elite level players, who are all very deserving to play. And if we're in a situation where those players aren't in that position, then then we're maybe not going to be the team we want to be anyway. So having players that understand that. So even a kid like, you know, JC, she knows Don is a great player, but she's never in a practice or in a game or in the season looking at things as, you know, like, you know, well, Donna caught three innings. She's not scorekeeping. She's understanding like the design of this is to continue to help make her a better ball player by giving her, a contemporary that is as a player of her similar stature. But that's so. not natural. Correct. That, that's a, that's a, that's a learn. So, so again, to our coaches Learned to behavior. understand our responsibility is to help these players understand what they're naturally feeling, be able to put things, you know, where they need to be, because, you know, it's, are, are you, when you have some players that maybe are, are, um, you know, around the two out of five playing time, you know, and that's a general rule I would tell coaches, you know, you, you, you have a team no matter what your number is. Uh, so side note, and if you're playing kids less than two out of five, plan on losing somebody. Sure. So if you keep two out of five for your role type players, uh, you know, use that number. But when you've got a player out there, maybe two out of five, one and a half out of five, are you having more conversations with that player so that she sees how she fits into the big picture, that her value into the, because a lot of coaches, they don't realize they're, they're facing the game. They're not really communicating with the back of the dugout. Right. And yeah, going into it, especially when we get to championship play, I make sure I try to communicate to each of the players what their role may be for those weeks upcoming and kind of what to be prepared for. Um, so you're trying to give them as much information as you can to keep them and have them understand. And even like, for example, we had 21 healthy players at, at for the 18s um, for the week of PGF until Danny got hurt. Then we had 20. But in, I think, five of the seven games, we use 17 of or more of the 21 available. So whether it's you're a little faster than someone, right. you're a little bit better defensively than someone, sure. um, you hit a high ball pitcher a little better than someone, right. you hit the low ball pitcher a little better than someone. So you need to be prepared because whenever those moments come around, 
I'm not just making decisions off a whim. I'm making them off of an educated, you know, decision. Right, sure. So, you know, and I think being able to utilize them and they understand that, okay, I have this value, right? And then we put them in those positions and we put them in the best position to be successful. And all of a sudden they're making a play. Or and they're already on. prepared to come in and lay down the bunt. Correct. They're coming in, they're, they're prepared. Bunt. They're yeah. not surprised by something. They're not in the wrong state of mind thinking about, you know, more about what team they want to play on next year. And then they're not prepared for a moment. You know, that, that it's that true preparation of what we want for our players. You know, I think that's, that's really, really important because so many coaches when you lose that player and they're not, their experience is different, it doesn't matter the number. So, so I want to clarify to coaches right now, when we talk about a higher number of players in your dugout, whatever it is, anything above 16, you know, that's really ideally meant for championship time of the year. Correct. Because when we're in these championship tournaments, every base runner can be the difference in in your season. So pinch running, every opportunity you have a chance to increase the speed on it, you know, where as before it might be, you know, your courtesy runner and then, you know, maybe one or two pinch runners. So that expanded roster gives you flexibility and a lot of like one play moves, one inning moves. Is it recommended for the whole year? It's really hard. You know, again, build a culture. You built a culture. People don't question it. They know they're involved. They know their role. They they naturally uh, no. They don't naturally destroy themselves, and they learn things. So it becomes it becomes uh, it works. It becomes balanced. Beginning of the year, we recommend keep your your rosters a little bit smaller. Give yourself a little room. Like right now, okay, we just finished uh, our, our national championships tryouts right away. Going into the next room, our, our next room. Going into the next year. Um, smaller suggested rosters, give yourself a little breathing room, ensure a little more playing time? Yeah, I would always, you know, kind of, and I think for me, there's always self-evaluation. So even for me, it's like, okay, what what could we do to be better this year? What can we do to be better? And and with that is, yeah, I would recommend for most people to be in that, you know, 14, 15 range and then allow those those, those last maybe few spots to kind of be, you know, um, learned information by you. Meaning, you know, what is it that we're not doing as well in the fall that we need to improve what, on. What do we need to add? Where are we weak at, right? You know, so... What's, too, what's too low? Is there a number that you would say is too low for our... And, you know, remember, we've got 10 and under teams. we yeah. got 14. So I think for, we understand the diversity of our... our uh, for 12 and under and 10 and under type teams would be like, you know, 12 kids is probably plenty because you want to maximize reps and opportunity. I yeah. think when you get to a championship level type second year 14 and up, that's when those numbers are going to tend to kind of go a little higher uh, because they're more competition-based. Uh, players a little more developed. And so now it's a matter of giving them an opportunity to compete with others like them. And that can happen a lot of times in practices. You know, I tell people all the time, a lot of our best stuff happens in-house. Sure. It's not even in a game. Sure. Because we can replicate with our level of players things that sometimes we can't even do in a game because maybe the competition that we're facing in that situation sure. might not be Base easy. runners in a first and third, defense versus Correct. offense, stuff like that. So bunt defenses do. versus bunt offense, yep. like different things, sure. So that's how we kind of manipulate the numbers because we have that in-house ability to play 16s versus 18s or if we have two elite 14 and under teams kind of control the narrative. Um, you know, the younger teams, I wouldn't recommend, you know, that, that as much because you just want at bats, you want ground balls, you want innings pitched, you know, you want to fail, succeed, fail, succeed until you kind of master your craft. Yeah. So, so two, so I think two takeaways on that one with the younger divisions, you know, understand that you're developing experience. So repetition is really, really key. So to have a bigger roster and then have sporadic playing time for a 10 or 12 year old and we get it competitive goals and different things like that, but it's imperative that they get the experience that they're getting repetitions of failure, success, whatever it is so that they, they are 
uh, it's easier to shape them as they get older. I think that's, uh, that's super important, uh, as far as, um, you know, managing the number of uh, players on your roster. So I think that's important. Um, and like I say, going into championship, championship play, you have all year to kind of manage your team and shape it. So listen to the story of your team and then really look at, you know, I was going to ask you earlier, you said you sit down and you evaluate. So what is, what is Sean Bashir want to do better this year? What's, what's, what's on the. You know, I think, um, you know, one of that would be managing the roster. You know, I think that, we, you know, sometimes you, um, you know, you allow, because I'm a relationship guy, you allow things that kind of shape themselves based upon the fact that you're maybe, you know, not wanting to hurt someone's feelings almost. And, you know, I have a saying, it's never personal, it's just business. But in some situations, maybe I've allowed, you know, uh, a roster to get bigger than I even needed to because I didn't have, you know, I wasn't willing to say, Hey, you know what? Thinking with your heart. Exactly. I was thinking with my heart and, and I, and I, and this year I, maybe I got a little bit more heartless. <laughs> well, but, it, but it's, it's common. It's a common situation for a lot of coaches. So contrary to popular belief of parents that, you know, we just want to abuse the kids and, sure. and you know, we're out to hurt their self-esteem. But uh, uh, the reality is so many coaches care too much about their kids and so they wear it on their sleeves so uh you know in the end there's anguish and there's and there's there's too much concern and then that same coach with experience will find out you there's plenty of times where you put in that effort maybe to uh you know you had to you disbanded your team because your daughter graduated going on to college you wanted to coach another near year now two months into it you realize man i can't do this my wife wants to spend more time with me i want to go see my kid play in college now i've got these eight kids that were part of my course since they were 12 what do i do i want to take care of them so now you kill yourself you're making phone calls you you hand them each to to a particular team now four of them go ahead and leave that team and they go somewhere else and and in the end they still care about you they love you but just as you said earlier it's business for them Right. So my advice for coaches is that when you are trying to facilitate and helping players, either uh, positioning them on the team, one player, a core players that you've got to reposition, you, we owe them, uh, we owe families uh, a, um, a good, honest effort. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't believe in, oh, I'm going on my own, wash my hands of it, walk away and leave families hanging. I, I, I think that'll come back and get you eventually at the, in the karma yeah, way. I try to offer you know, any level of 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 um, help that I can to advise people, yeah. get them in the right place. Yeah. I mean, the greatest thing about what we have is we have such a big network, a of, network. of things to be able to provide people. Um, and that effort is what I believe that we owe them. So to the mm-hmm. families, we owe you that effort. Correct. To coaches, we owe those families that effort. But to coaches, you don't owe them maximum effort to deliver them all the way to the door because you're, you're putting in too much time with that. And in the end, we sometimes the best thing is to release them back in the river because all of these families, no matter how uncomfortable it is, they're very good at finding tryouts, very good at positioning. Very few families are out just, well, we don't, we're not playing this year because we couldn't find a team. Right. Uh, when's the last time you heard that? So, you know, that's just a word to our coaches because we do think with our hearts a lot and it's not to become heartless, but it, that's important in professions is you have to wear a certain hat that you're not all emotional and uh you know, overly protective because it affects it affects your decision making, which then in turn affects your your operation. The other point that I wanted to make earlier that you had brought up that so for coaches out there that they're getting um, uh, increased interest in their operations, so regions, more teams asking, you know, what's that number? You know, what's too much? You know, again, a culture. What we found by these controlled experiments where we let things grow and kind of watch what happens is that once you have the numbers and you have a certain amount of teams, like you said, you can have intercompetition, you can have uh, internal events, you can uh, two on twos, four on fours, you can do a lot of different things. We found that firecracker versus firecracker play is actually very, um, 
productive. Uh, you know, you have coaches that can converse with each other during the games. Hey, what are you guys working on? What are we working on? There's already a certain kind of camaraderie because our, our groundwork says, look, we compete on the field. We don't often uh, off the field. And I've really been impressed with that. And the other thing that I, I'm, when I say I'm proud that we have this, but this is really the glove as offering, offering the options with uniforms, uh, looking through our catalog and the amount of different types of uh, colors of pants that we have, the amount of, uh, of top, uh, variations that we have options. <clears throat> Very rarely do you see two firecracker teams out there in the same uniform. And right. if you think about it, nobody calls each other. And we have a lot of, you know, cross, um, uh, uh, that, um, competition. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not there. And so I'm really happy with that. So again, I want coaches to understand that, you know, thinking outside of the box, um, don't be afraid to do it. If you don't do it naturally, you like to play it safe, you're practical-minded, fine, but get somebody in there that will, will test the waters a little bit. Because isn't that exciting, uh, you know, kind of what's happening with us in softball is this kind of what I call on the frontier, building things are out there, doing things. I mean, how do you look at that and that and that vastness out there of nothing being built, but that's where we keep going? Right. Well, that's how you learn, right, is by trying and doing different things and trying to create. And I mean, we're not doing the same thing we did five years ago. We're doing different things now and we'll probably be doing different things five years from now. But as long as we're looking to find ways to progress the game, progress opportunities for the kids, you know, learn more as coaches, I think it's going to make the game better, give these girls better opportunities to be successful. And so for me, that's, you know, every year is different. And we try to take the good and kind of weed out the bad and learn from our mistakes and grow from the the positive results that we've had, you know, whether they're event based or practice based or Mm -hmm. competition based, you know, everything has a meaning to me. Sure. So and the story changes. Yep. So. That's what keeps it interesting. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get boring. You know, we, we talk a lot about the success that you've had with your cultures and your teams. And, and again, great, great season this year. So one year into vice presidency. And so <laughs> I kind of pull you in and out of, of administrative type situations and kind of that uh, uh, experience that is important for us to gain. And so you and I have been able to uh, experience and work with uh, some uh, realities of softball. Uh, it's sometimes it's problem solving. Sometimes it's problem management. You know, um, one of the things that I would want people to know that, you know, everyone has an idea of justice and everyone has an idea of what they think should happen to correct a certain situation. And so if the, the people even cared out there, but imagine how many emails we get with, uh, where's your play with honor now? You know, right. so-and-so <laughs> just got kicked out of a game and, you know, and it's kind of, it's that obvious stuff. And it's, and, and I'm not saying it, it, it's not there and it shouldn't be stated, but it's very, very obvious. And we get that. So the experience of softball and when it starts to divide. So when a family starts to disconnect from a coach or when a player starts to dis- disconnect from a team, when the experience is, you know, you're there, you're sitting there, you're on the weekends, but you're not happy. It's not something that, you know, you started this conversation off with saying it's fulfilling. And to thine own self be true, people, it's not fulfilling to you. And so look at the ingredients of your experience and kind of how you're handling either something that you don't like, something you're disgruntled with, um, pointing the finger and and blaming even when it, there's truth in it but in what's the end game do you do you think you're going to get somebody so whether it's a coach to a family or a family about a coach do you think you're going to get a willingness on the other side of us all that we are working together to try to build this this softball world up and so i just ask people to really pay attention on how you're experiencing your displeasure so I don't want the family that's writing me an email 
that their experience wasn't anything what they thought it was going to be. And they were, they're extremely unhappy and you know, they want me to know about it. They want us to know about it. And they describe something that is important and it's unfortunate. I want those families to know that we take that into account and that we don't blow it off. And that, and that even though it's, there's not a sense of urgency, you know, there's, there's not this misconduct that's taken place that it's either in litigation or, uh, uh, you know, police involved or something. I mean, we, there's different levels of urgency and your experience is important to us, but have the confidence that we work on accountability with our coaches and that we address everything. The fact that I'm not upset with a coach or you're not upset with a coach and something happened between that coach and a family, those to you families out there, don't think that we don't care because we're not angry about it. We have a lot of problems to solve. And to each individual, we know that that situation is so personal and important to you. But imagine with the vastness of our organization and all of the well-intended coaches that we have that are on their free time, not certified, uh, very, you know, certain amount of investment, but usually how you play the game. And so people, there are going to be mistakes being made. What I want people to understand is if they see a repeated pattern of behavior, so if they see something that's taking place over and over and over and over and over, and even in some of those cases, don't assume we're not addressing it. Sometimes there's a bigger picture and a longer timeline for something to play out. But I want people to understand that you and I get to experience these types of problems and we're empathetic. We don't want a family to not have a good experience. So don't think that we've discarded it. And because we didn't fire the coach or uh, we can't refund your $3,000 because you didn't play in Colorado, uh, you know, refunds are kind of like, it's like court. It's like if you were promised something and that wasn't given to you. And so be careful of playing time promises, different things like that. But I mean, items, material goods, you know, this was meant for that and we never got it. That's how courts make you whole. And we do that. The contracts are ultimately between our families and our teams, but we enforce those contracts. And we even advise families to take our our coaches to civil court if this is the only way it's going to get resolved. And I want the people out there to realize that we, I don't think we've ever had anybody go to court. And usually when a coach who might be in the middle of that neener, neener thing, I was like, well, they didn't do this and do that. But once it becomes transparent enough to where they copy us on that communication and say, look, we're willing to, it's not a threat. We just want this resolved. And when you take the right approach, approach towards resolving a situation as opposed to venting, and that becomes your agenda to vent and let us know how bad somebody is because we're always working to solve a problem. So you've got multiple teams now. You have to have even, you know, some teams wondering they don't get to see you as much as other teams or sure. this or that. And, it, and it's kind of natural stuff. But people, don't let it ruin your experience. Don't let it imbalance. So what do you have to say about that? Because it's it's real. You know, I think with as far as kind of those um, – Understanding that I think, you know, there's speeding tickets and then there's actual, you know, real, you know, murder charges, I guess. Right. So lumping them all together, lumping them all together that, you know, somebody going 60 and a 55 isn't someone that, you know, loses his license and spends 10 years and behind bars. So and a lot of times most of this stuff is there's their speeding tickets, you know, and then the other part of it is, you know, being solution based and not argumentative based or gossip based. 
you know, because a lot of times I don't even know if people want a solution as right. much as they just want to gossip. Right. Right. And Go we ahead. have to we have to pick up that real quick quick because we have to devote time to every yep. situation. In every situation. So I'm, you know, I can't even, you know, if I were to tell you the hours that I put in, and I know you know them on a day to day basis of email, text, and phone call. Right. It's 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 not it's from basically time I wake up to the time that I go to sleep. Right. And and a lot of it is, you know, dealing with some of that stuff. And again, I want it to be solution based. I want to be able to come to a conclusion, make sure that whatever, you know, is it well intended? Is it just some misrepresentation? Is it just somebody who doesn't know how to best operate their 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 team or their their players? Or is there actual you know, malpractice, or I don't know if that's the right word, but is, is there actual mal, you know, or, or there's malintent, there so, right, there we right, go, right. to to do something dirty and unethical, right, right, because there's, you know, most of the time, again, they're speeding tickets, you know, Who, who's really malicious, Sean? Okay, there are a couple, there are a couple people in the softball jungle, as in all jungles, that are just okay you know, could be termed as not good people. Right. And that's just the balance of life. But in reality, mismanaging, making mistakes, a common occurrence. Yeah. And now between, uh, you know, what they imply, so did they imply this, you know, I don't like you, I, I want to harm you, I don't care how you <laughs> feel, or inference, how do we take it? And, you know, the scariest thing, like in the high school world now, is that if, hey, we're going to protect our kids, she comes home and she's upset, I look at the boxes. She's losing sleep. She's loss of appetite. She's got high anxiety. And then that's because of what's going on at practice. That, you know, again, we deal with these things. I look at that. That does not look good. Then I go back and I look at the hands that that player's in. And it's a well-intended coach that that is not the Pope or Mother Teresa and human. And like you said earlier, and this is here to help everyone, okay? We're here, we're here to help families. If you can differentiate the person that really is trying to harm your daughter and explain that to your daughter, those people that are trying to harm you, and then also explain to your daughter people that make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And it's important not to take them personally because, my gosh, you're, you're a casualty waiting to happen if we're going to be damaged every time somebody makes a mistake that comes across our life road because mistakes happen, especially in our softball world. And we're not saying, well, then let's get them, let them get away with it. Uh, you know, like I said, and there's severe problems that we address. Sometimes we have to address them at the end of the year. You know, we address everything. Um, otherwise, we're not here. We know that this is, this is not, not going to work that way. But I think it's an important uh, topic to bring up because swift justice – People want swift justice. I want you fired now. I want this. But if we fire all of the coaches that are making mistakes and first-time mistakes, our two options are now we fold the teams and the kids don't have teams to play on, or the next dad steps in because the last guy is making – and that's what happens. That's that cycle. So we are working hard to educate. We are working really, really hard to build this from the ground up, knowing that mistakes um, are part of this and accountability is part of this, but to to not make it either or because people – you're going to see each other on the field – and when you have to like walk a different direction because that's the organization you used to play for, then you have to walk another direction because that coach <laughs> you used to play for, you have fallen into the trap. And the hypocrisies grow in softball uh, that we prove over and over and over that, you know, day to day, it becomes less about the kids. The kids are what bring us all together, but then the agendas are actual about, and it's even the pain of the kids, but then the actions between, you know, coaches and parents and different things like that. So uh, I want to spit it back when we were talking earlier about, uh, I want to bring out a couple 
couple mentions in your in your operation who who stepped up you mentioned date jc so who are who are some players who are some coaches people in your operation that my gosh there's no way you we have this level of success in your operation without well, i, I people think doing on the field did. um you know jc was huge just because of the situation that we were dealt with with donna uh, becoming injured and then um you know carly brown had a tremendous summer for us in a circle um, you know, so those those ones in particular, and um, as far as their role. So, so JC, describe describe JC's kind of her as a team player, her personality. How would you describe? JC has been with us for four years, and in in all four years, JC has been probably as stable and 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 productive as the players we've had. Um, she she's a type of a kid that um, I really I think the girls enjoy playing with and playing for her, and she's a pitcher's delight because she works hard. Uh, she's going to give you, your, you know, the maximum effort. So, you know, again, cliche things, but she brings to the table a consistency that as a coach, you know, you can trust. And for me, that's one of the things I always tell our players is, you know, if I trust you, you know, you have a better chance of playing, you know, and you're going to earn my trust by, you know, having things, you know, hit the fan and how are you handling them? And for me, that's why even when Donna got hurt, it's like, okay, at least we have JC who's gone through all these wars, again, four years of competition she plays at a great high school. Uh, they won CIF a couple of times at Cathedral down in San Diego. So she's been in the fire. So I knew she wouldn't be overwhelmed by the moment. Um, you know, so for me, it was about her stability, you know, her calmness, her ability to play with big lights on and not necessarily go, oh, my gosh, it's my turn. And what the heck am I going to do? Yeah. And uh, and that's what happens in war, right? One yeah. soldier's down, next soldier steps in and does the job. And, and I mean, just and did it and did it. But, yeah, but, you know, but JC, JC yeah. did it beautifully, you know. And so that mindset that she had, as we mentioned earlier, for her to be prepared was uh, uh, amazing to watch. And it was just wow. And Carly Brown. Yeah, not not your typical pitcher. No, you know Carly has uh, you know a uniqueness to her that's like you know fun to coach and fun to be around and and, and especially when you know her. In, inter- exactly, getting to know her. Right. Sometimes maybe from afar you're kind of wondering, okay, does she have any emotions? Well, yeah. How many how many words does Carly <laughs> say in a game on the field? Would you say <laughs> two? Two like and and we're an expressive behavior based. Yeah. You know, put your persona out there. But Carly, especially for a pitcher, is beautifully quiet. Yeah. And, and again, she, you know, embracing those opportunities, knowing that, you know, she was going to have a role. And then sometimes the role became a little bit more than maybe we even envisioned. And she, again, embraced it, took advantage of those opportunities and was big in Colorado. Um, you know, beat big teams, won big, big games. Teams. Why was she reliable for you? What would, what was you know, she executing that yeah, ability, allowed you to rely, rely on her? You know, ability to, you know, hit spots you know, keep the ball down and uh, keep the ball in the yard over the years. You know, that would be one thing I'd say is the, the tendency to let that home run ball uh, become more. So, and it was the off speed, you know, stuff that really, you know, elevated her against the elite competition. So, so pitch to pitch management, mm-hmm. more accurate, less mistakes. Yep. So knowing where the ball's going. And I right. think, I, and I think her confidence in her team, you know, with that is like the, sometimes I think girls are feeling as if, they have to get them out as opposed to understanding that we're going to get them out. Which interview was it? Uh, it might have been the one that she did, but uh, where she just says, I knew they had my back right. when I had their back. That's, 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 a, that's the great thing when you hear that because that's their, their, their dialogue from the story. It's not just uh, something they're saying. Yep. I knew they had my back. And so great. And then that off speed. So, and 
We'll talk more about the on-demand platform, being able to get some of these teaching essentials out, but that third speed. And so for me, here's the story of Carly Brown. Comes in, dedicates herself, coming in on Wednesday nights. And, you know, again, with my right brain crazy kind of methodology of teaching. And so I lay it down in front of her and I kind of give her the self-preservation. Do these things or die as a pitcher. No, not physical death, but you know, right. you'll become, in, you'll, you'll be inefficient. You'll be like a lot of other pitchers struggling, trying to throw hard and not knowing why they can't get anybody out. So she came in throwing into those holes, m- making the adjustments, spot management, right? Making, hitting mm-hmm. the spots, making the adjustment pitch to pitch. And then that off speed pitch, which I'll just quickly just tell coaches out there, it's basically taking your fastest pitch and taking six miles off, off of it. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot easier time taking six miles off of somebody's fastest pitch than trying to get them to throw four miles faster than their <laughs> fastest pitch. So it becomes a deadly pitch in when you're pitching behind in the count. So, you know, and, and so it's elite level of competition, you know, you're going to, yeah. you think you're going to live three, one, two, Oh, listen <laughs> to this coaches, because again, those, those are aggressive, uh, make it happen type counts. And so to be able to take something off, mm-hmm. to be able to pitch backwards, to be able to, to force an aggressive batter to, to adjust to off speed pitches and then mix in her change up. So now she's got three speeds. So Carly now. Steps in, you know, Danny Martinez. Danny was huge. Again, yep. another one yep. that Danny. what comes in, um, you know, kind of off and on with injuries, uh, uh, up and I mean, down. She was, not, she was great for us for two years, you know, and, and, and has been great. Uh, she hurt herself in Colorado, still found her way to get through, you know, through a great game, shut out glory at PGF, uh, and, and honestly was probably about at 80, 85% of her health. Um, but same thing. It's just the ability to locate and, um, you know, throw different speeds of pitches, you know, pitch backwards, you know, go, you know, go reverse. Great what, command of her stuff. Great command and great command of her, of her mind. Now, now with Danny and her coming in to get some work. And again, the credit goes to coaches and players when they invest. Cause I just lay a little bit down for him. I said, look, if you eat this and you feed on it, I'll feed you more because I, I'm not in a, in a one-on-one teaching format anymore. And so Danny comes in and masters the routine. So if you think about Danny's routine in between pitches, mm-hmm. and you know she's already pretty methodical, but the point is to make sure that you capture your thoughts, you you kind of let everything kind of pass out that needs to get through you. It's one simple thought. So Danny probably takes the most deliberate breath in the back of the circle. Yeah. You know when she really, it's almost like <sighs> sometimes you wonder if she's thinking this will be over soon, or I don't know what it is, but really manages her routine and. For me, again, we were talking earlier about managing pitch to pitch. It allows you to execute more often each pitch that you throw because Danny's not throwing 65. She doesn't have six pitches, but with her and Carly or any pitchers that are really hitting their spots and managing themselves, Sean, you have the confidence you can beat anybody. Yep. Right? And our team. And whether you do or not, the point is to feel like, I, we can do this. I'm right. here. I I can neutralize you with this. And so, wow, yeah, they they stepped up and did, did a really, really, really good job. Anyone else come to mind? You no, know, there's that? a. I mean, it, you know, I don't even want to leave anybody out. But sure. Alyssa we Graham, through you know, Alyssa, players. yeah, Alyssa Graham, you know, specifically Colorado. She, wow. I mean, I think if there would have been an you know an MVP, quote unquote, you know, she had eight home runs that right. week in Colorado. She'd been in the Firecracker Hit Club. She, yeah, she would have been, yeah, the Hit Club. Uh, and then you know, um, Cheese. You know, the, her nickname, Megan. 
Uh, she made a play in PGF that I think everybody... One of the most amazing yeah. plays I've ever seen. Yeah. And her dad wanted to make sure I mentioned this to her. So, uh, Cheese, if you hear this, my gosh. Ball hit into left center. Yep. Big game. Uh, ball's going over the fence. Yep. And she seemed to play these net fences like she knows how to play them. It's almost like Ken Griffey on the wall or something just knew it. So she's going back. Ball's headed over. We're sitting right behind us. It's coming right to us. She catches the ball. And balances and, herself and, off of and yeah, she falls back on the net fence mm-hmm. and uses the netting to spring her back up, comes up and throws the ball on a fly to the runner, tagging from second and third, throws her out, hoses her, perfect throw on a fly. So the catch itself was an amazing catch, coming up and making a throw and putting it on the mark and throwing out the runner. That is, <clears throat> excuse me, that is now right behind Jill Ferguson throwing out. <laughs> who was it and against the Oakland A's uh, 74 World Series when he took the ball from Jimmy Wynn in center field came over from right yep. field stood in front of the center fielder and I was threw three, a strike but I remember the play man oh I've man the... we were Dodger fans right after that but yeah no, it was honestly I think if um, you know there was a play of PGF that was amazing that was the play of PGF yeah. you know and she came up big hit some home runs oh yeah and... she she played real well for us all year you know and she is a she's a leader by example underappreciated um, yeah, you know, she's, again, and she's somebody that if I was to talk about, you know, getting into the program, she's been with us now, this will be her fifth year. And, um, you know, she didn't always play on, right. on you know, the quote-unquote, right. this team. Right. You know, and she just but went. she made. She made. This team. Correct. That team. Right. And that was that was huge. And she's a leader. Thanks, you know, geez. she's she's a leader, yeah. no doubt. They're, the girls feed off watch. of her energy. You know, she, and that's what you, you've, you've told this to me before. You know, who would you buy a ticket to watch play? Yeah. You know, and she's is one of those kids. Like, yeah. you want to watch her play. You can go out there and look for her, and she's not going to disappoint. And you can go out there and not know who she is, and you're going to know who she is by the end of that game. Yes. And so very, very, very impressive. So, yeah, we just want to make sure we made mention because it was a pretty special thing. And, and when you think about the level that your team was playing at and the teams that they were playing against and the types of plays that they were making because they weren't apprehensive. There's no inhibitions. They're just playing the game. So it made it really, really enjoyable to watch. So again, translate this to all coaches, you know, empowerment, um, a lack of, 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 of fear of failure, not overreacting. Uh, Sean uses the word fulfillment, you know, uh, communication, um, Inclusive. I mean, these are all part of it. Not glamorous. Write them down. Ask yourself if you're implementing these things into your program, and it'll it'll really make a difference. So, and then real quick, you know, Lon Barth and Tony Tornero, who 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 do more than I do, you know, day to day there. Because if I'm out with the 16s, or I go to a 14s, or if I'm doing whatever for the organization, or a tournament, or an event, or wherever my hands may be leading me, these guys are there week in week out, giving you know everything they have to be able to help these girls uh, succeed. And like I told you in an earlier thing we talked about is empowering them to feel comfortable that I allow, you know, we're going to allow them to coach. And, you know, we have conversations. Sometimes we disagree to disagree, right? But at the same time, it's all healthy and it's all things that are for the benefit of our team. Right. Well, and, and I think, you know, like when you step away and Lon's calling pitches, people notice when someone's incapable so calling the wrong pitch and you just hear that, well, that was the wrong pitch. You don't hear that. If if anything, you realize, man, this guy's just sliced up another team. So he's making the call. The pitchers are executing it together. That's quite a, a tandem right there. And that works. And so I, yeah, I pulled him aside after one of those games. Go, bro, you're one of the best pitch callers out here yep. because it's, it's under appreciated because he's what not marketing himself and doesn't have uh Lombard shirts or anything <laughs> like that. Or, 
firecrackers bar. Barth, yeah. Hmm. He's coming soon. Hey, Lonnie, are you listening? He's, can uh, do that. Sean can do it. He, he's got his Newberry Park CIF champion shirt. Sean's holding you back, Lon. Doggone yeah. it. You better yeah. pick this up. So anyways, yeah, that's awesome, uh, Sean, because that's great. So again, I want everyone to hear this and think about, you know, we, I sent a... a, a we sent something out a few weeks ago about right brain, left brain. You know, we're starting a new year. Think about your staffs. Think about the people that you compliment yourself with. Think about the relationships you're going to build with your, your parents, the honesty, the transparency, all of these things. New year starting. Super excited. We're going to head out to the southeast. We're going to do something with the Florida. Batbusters and Firecrackers are mixing it up a little bit. we got some good stuff going. Risotto Canyon's booked up. You've got camps. Um, we'll do more podcasts. Or... I love it. So snap, snap. We were just here last year, weren't we? Yeah. And then it's, and then now we're at tryouts, right? Like, and that's to me, I probably my least favorite time. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but at the same time, knowing that what it means is the start of a new year, yeah. right? And a new venture. And we get to see what happens, you know, with the growth of, of the programs and the teams and, and the events and, so that makes me excited. I was thinking it is kind of like the general manager in, in baseball and stuff when you have, you know, the trade deadlines, July 31st, they, they're not sleeping much. You know, our meetings are starting at 830 in the morning. They're going until 9, 930, 10 o'clock at night. It's We have people to meet. We have to meet with uh, families. We have to meet with coaches. We have to set the course. If we don't, it, it we end up cleaning up a mess on the back end of it. So like all coaches, we're just we're just doing the things that we need to do. Um but just, again, really appreciate what the, the standard you're setting uh, to reinforce the message and to show people that anybody can do this. If, heck, if we can do this, Sean, who can't do it? Yeah, I, exactly. I, like I said, I ne- wouldn't have thought this 10 years ago to be here and, and everything that's kind of happened through it. Uh, you know, but I know I would say this organizationally, no organization in my mind empowers their coaches the way that we're trying to. You know what I mean? Which is one of the things of, that's important to us. Yeah. You know, we, we all have to do what we want to do and what makes us work and what feeds us is truly empowering people. But mm-hmm. what people need to understand is then it comes back to you. You end up looking great, but really we're only here because obviously because of the people we have around us. So uh, listen, good luck with tryouts this weekend. Yep, thank you. And uh, we're, uh, we're looking forward to another great year. Yes, sir. All right. We'll all talk right, to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.